I understand that you have spent some time looking at uh, 1 Samuel in the last few Sunday mornings. I've chosen a passage to look at this morning that happens just before 1 Samuel. That's from the life of Samson. Fairly well-known passage. Judges 16, 1 through 22. So our reading in our text this morning, Judges 16, 1 through 22. And there we read the word of God as follows. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it's daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to Samson, The Philistines are upon you, Samson! But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you've mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words, impressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart and said to her, 
No razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him, or the Hebrew manuscripts actually say, she shaved off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Let's sing after the sermon from hymn 72. And we'll sing all the stanzas 1 through 5 of hymn 72. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you really know what you're getting into? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? Maybe there's a house that you've just bought. It's a bit of an old house. It'll be a fixer-upper like you never imagined. You know what they say about those old houses? You don't own them. They own you. Do we know what we're getting into? Adam and Eve should have, could have asked that in the Garden of Eden when they chose to reach out and eat from that forbidden fruit. Did they see the ruin and the misery that they would plunge themselves and the world into? The devil's lies promised such glory and life, but were full of shame and death. Samson, the last judge, should have asked him that, asked himself that question. Did Samson know that he was playing with fire? That his dallying with the cute girl Delilah would end him up in prison? Did he know that the eyes that he lusted with would one day be gouged out? Did he know that because of his poor choices, he would be pushing around a big millstone one day? You might know in the ancient world that was the work of donkeys. In the chapter before this, in chapter 15, Samson boasted that he made donkeys out of the Philistines. Now Samson is the donkey. Did the Israelites know what they were getting into? You know, you could put that as a sort of heading even over the whole book of Judges. 
The book of Judges goes from bad to worse. It ends, if you keep reading in Judges, with some very brutal stories of betrayal, injustice, murder, and paganism. But do you see that happening in chapters 1 and 2? All the Israelites do in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Judges is, well, they're sort of nice to some Canaanites, but friendly to them. They stop talking to their children about what God did at the time of the Exodus. I mean, that's, that's all the past, isn't it? We, we live in a new land. But it all goes downhill from there. The life of Samson amazes us, doesn't it? I mean, how does he catch 300 foxes and tie their tails together? How does he here carry the gates of Gaza 40 miles? These were city gates that some say might have weighed as much as five tons. But equally, we're shocked not just by his incredible strength, but by his incredible stupidity. Weakness? First of all, there was a Philistine woman in chapter 14. At the beginning of chapter 16, there's a prostitute from Gaza. Then there's Delilah. It's clear in the life of Samson, even with all his strength, that we need a kind of strength even greater than that. We need a judge, a savior, stronger than Samson. Samson is unable to draw a line. His life, if you read through it, is very much based on his eyes, his lusts. That's how the whole world is described in 1 John chapter 2. The world is filled with the lust of the eyes. Samson, he not only visits the Philistines, he essentially becomes a Philistine. Samson fails to recognize that he needs to be holy. That's what being a Nazarite was all about, being consecrated to God. So when it comes to holiness, there Samson is just as weak as any other man. I put the sermon under that theme. The great judge must love holiness. And we'll look at those two things. First of all, harlotry, the opposite, and then secondly, holiness. Now, chapter 16 begins with that very brief uh, incident in Gaza. It really is the backdrop to the scene later on in the chapter with Delilah. But here at the beginning of chapter 16, certain things about Samson are highlighted for us. Again, we're reminded of Samson's weakness. Chapter 14, he had a Philistine wife. Now he's with a Philistine prostitute. But again, it also reminds us of Samson's strength. He lifts the gates of Gaza out from their moorings and carries them away. This all happens too in Gaza. That's in the south. And the men of Gaza know about Samson. So this reminds us too of Samson's very far-flung reputation. The beginning scene, too, also really highlights for us the secret of his strength. 
I mean, isn't it surprising? He goes to Gaza because there's a prostitute there. And he sleeps with her. And yet he is able to carry off the city gates. Doesn't that sort of shock you? I mean, what is sort of more serious? Getting your hair cut? Or sleeping with a prostitute? Strangely, it is actually the hair that is more important in Samson. As long as he has the hair, he is strong, even if he is still a terrible sinner. We'll talk more about that in our second point. This first scene is also a challenge to the nation of Israel. Samson takes the gates of Gaza and brings them well into Israelite territory. The city gates were these elaborate fortifications of wood, metal. They were often symbolic of a city's strength. I mean, when the men, when the men of Hebron woke up and saw these city gates sitting in their fields, they should have woken up as well, been shamed and been challenged to trust in their God. Their God is still very much alive to bless them and to give them strength. But you know from this time, Israel has a huge problem in those days, in these days. They're constantly enticed to serve pagan gods. They serve Philistine lords and also Philistine gods. All right, now let's turn to the main scene with uh, Delilah. Sometime later, Samson loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. She's a Philistine woman. <coughs> Some commentators uh, relate the name Delilah to the Hebrew word for night. Sounds very similar. That's Layla. Others to the word for flirt. At any rate, it certainly doesn't sound good, her name. The five rulers of the Philistines come to her with a very sweet offer. Each of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver if you can find out the secret of Samson's great strength. Delilah must have thought that she won the Philistine lottery. I mean, 30 shekels of silver could buy you a slave. 5,500 shekels. That's like $10 million. So Delilah goes straight to work. Notice, she's not devious at all. She just outright asks Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength, how you can be tied up and subdued. What's the first thing that Samson suggests? Seven fresh bowstrings that have not yet been dried. Bowstrings in those days, those would have been animal tendons. Does that sound ridiculous? Not really. If he was tied with these animal tendons, would have been unclean. Seven is a holy number. Sounds sort of plausible. Of course, it doesn't work. The next thing that he suggests is more reasonable. New ropes that have never been used. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. She cries out again. But he snaps the ropes like they are threads. 
Then he veers closer to the truth. If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom, I'll become as weak as any other man. Delilah uses the word, or she uses a pin as well in all of this. And that sounds sort of similar to, you might know earlier, it's the same word used for jail, used to kill Sisera, the Canaanite commander. It's ominous, but not yet fatal. Delilah, though, is very persistent. Finally, Samson does tell her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. Read that carefully. It's not that the hair was sort of something magical. Even Samson says, I have been a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. And as we mentioned earlier, that is all about his holiness. His hair, when you think of his hair, you should think of holiness. That is the secret to his strength. And Samson seems to care nothing about that. He has a rather bad hair day, to put it mildly. Delilah puts him on her lap like a baby. She calls someone over, a man over. It seems to be, yeah, like I mentioned, the Hebrew text. Perhaps that man brought her a razor or something like that, but she is the one, maybe he actually did cut the hair, but it's very clear in the Hebrew that she was the one in charge of things here. So Samson is being humbled specifically by Delilah. And then we read the most sad words of his whole life. When he awoke, he did not know that the Lord had left him. And you don't even read how the Philistines actually subdued him. Just that they did. Now when you read this chapter, there's one burning question, isn't there? I mean, just how could this happen? I mean, did not Samson realize that Delilah was out to get him? Wouldn't you have put two and two together? I mean, after waking up and finding yourself tied with bowstrings or ropes, your hair woven into a loom, exactly the things that you said to her happen? How could Samson be so stupid? Did he not realize where things were bound to end up with Delilah? How could he be so blind? That's the question that you have reading this chapter. But now do you see, that is exactly the question. You know what, that fills the word of God. And that you and I should be asking ourselves. Samson is a terrible fool, but so are we all. You need to remember who Samson is. Samson is not just the judge. Samson, in many ways, too, is Israel in a nutshell. He represents the whole nation. Israel, the people of God, were called to be holy and distinct. Israel, was to know the Lord's strength and the Lord's blessings. 
just like Samson does. But the nation of Israel, too, does not seem to care. To care about her holiness. She does not want to see the destructiveness of her idolatry. Samson is rather stupid here with Delilah. The people of God are rather stupid. Because they go after not just foreign women, but foreign gods and goddesses. Baal, Asherah, Molech. The whole book of Judges too is full of idols. What about us? Could it also be said of us that we are just like Samson? Thinking we're having fun, but really on the road to destruction, willfully blind and deceiving ourselves about the things that we pursue and the choices that we make, flirting with much more than we care to admit. Flirting not just with fun, but with disaster, eternal disaster. Israel did not want to see that flirting with pagan gods and goddesses was so deadly. Do we? Now, we don't have the same temptations quite as they did in those days. We don't have Baals and Asherahs. But really, nothing has changed. If you study ancient pagan religion, you will see It was very modern. It's all about you and your desires. Pagan religion was very artfully invented because it was a way that you supposedly secured all sorts of blessings. I mean, those gods and goddesses made things grow in your fields, things like that. And they never demanded repentance. They never demanded church attendance. They never demanded submitting to a law or anything like that. They promised a good time without being godly. Today, too, there is a devil. The same devil who was behind pagan religion. He was up to nothing, nothing new. He too still says, life should really be about you. You should worship that man-made trinity of me, myself, and I. Put your needs first. Make sure you are getting what you want in life. Make sure people treat you well. Your way is is the way it should be. What do we see? The devil is nothing but a liar and a murderer. Did you notice that Delilah never once says that she loves Samson? Samson says he loves her. But Delilah never once says she loves him. And that's very telling. In pagan religion, any idol, anything in this world that we want to worship never really loves us. Any sinful way of living, it might be fun, but really it is so hollow. 
Love is only found in the true God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That takes us to our second point. Samson then thinks he can have his cake and eat it too. But eventually he does bear his soul and tell Delilah everything you see here. Samson's unable to restrain himself. You cannot be friends with the world and yet still somehow draw a line and stay separate. But Samson is not just blind to Delilah, he's also blind to himself. He's very careless about his own calling. In fact, he may also be sort of clueless. So you look at verse 20. Verse 20. The climax there. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. You would think that when Samson woke up, he would notice right away that he was as bald as a plucked chicken. Yet he still thinks he can take on the Philistines. That sort of begs the question a little bit. I'm not sure if I can give a definitive answer, but does Samson really think his hair is that important? Does he really think that God will leave him if his hair leaves. Here too, he is that perfect mirror of Israel. Did Israel know where to find strength? Did Israel know that in the land of Canaan, that beautiful and promised land, she was called to be set apart to God? Then she would have guarded her worship. She would have made the next generation know the awesome deeds of the Lord. And those that were older would have made it clear that in them there is a kind of trembling, a joyful trembling, but a great trembling before the Lord whom we do fear in his awesomeness. Israelite, the Israelites were called out of Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey. But would they see that life in that promised land was only enjoyed in one way, in holiness. Holiness, hair, is that important? What about us? Do you want to enjoy the blessings of the Lord? Do you want to have strength? Do you want to be strong like Samson? The secret is not what you would expect. Of course, for us, it's not to have long hair as such. But it is to be holy. To be aware of your God every day. To know that God has called you out of this world to be his own. God has called you to to be set apart, to worship him. The secret of strength in this world is to walk not according to it. You and I, as the people of God, need to learn to be different, 
That's what it means to be a Christian. And we ought to just simply get used to that. We are called out of this world. We march to the beat of a different drummer. We need to make it clear also to the next generation who the idols of this world are. Do you do that with your children? Do you name them? Do you expose them? Do you make it clear that you will not serve them? Samson did not realize that some things cannot be toyed with. Not just with women, but also your calling and your God. But there was one greater than Samson. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. And in him we find what is lacking in Samson. It's very sad. Samson is so dominated by his lust. But look at the Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, he has the real thing. Love. And he is always dominated by his love. For those around him, for his God. The Lord Jesus Christ desired holiness. He lived every moment, as he said to the devil, conscious that man must worship the Lord and Him only. He so clearly put the will of God ahead of, ahead of Him at all times, not what He desired, even if the will of God meant a cross. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, we also find what Samson did not have. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, that God made Christ to be our wisdom our redemption, and our sanctification. Sanctification, that's another word for holiness. Samson had special hair. We have a special cross. Stand before the cross of Christ every day. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Marvel. At the grace of God for you, a sinner, and you will be holy. You will be different. Seek the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Samson had little or no self-control. Maybe it makes you wonder, is this just another story of men being men? Will men forever be ruled by their own lusts? Can sinners learn self-control? In the New Testament you read, this is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Self-control. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Read the Spirit's Word and meditate upon it. Work with the preaching of His Word. Live in a constant state of Humility and repentance. You might not be, you might think at times, is this really such a big deal, all of this? To read the Bible, to pray, even to come to church. Like Samson's hair, it is more important than you think. Samson 
though fails to be different. And so the Lord leaves him. Overnight, everything changes for him. He goes from such privilege, such glory and power, to such humiliation and degradation. In the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God warns his people the very same thing would happen to them all. If they abandon the Lord, those who hate them would rule over them. I will bring upon you terror. I will destroy your sight and drain away your life. Leviticus 26, verse 16. The Israelites should have seen in Samson the covenantal curses that they were bringing upon themselves. What will happen, we wonder. Is this the end of the story then? Is it all over? But there are those words there, right at the end of our text. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Such a little thing. But now you know that's not so little. Very clearly too, God is at work here. We don't cause our hair to grow. It's not something Samson himself does. This is a gift of God. All of this is a sign there is a God greater than our actions and our sin. God does not abandon his people. He does not abandon the work of his hands. Later he sends the one greater than Samson, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in him, this too is what really happens to all of us who believe in him. Our hair begins to grow, no matter who we we are. We do find holiness, love, love for our God, love for obedience to him, and real love for others. Fix your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand before him at his cross, at his resurrection, now that he is enthroned in glory. The Lord Jesus Christ willingly became like us, as weak as any other man. He took upon our sin and our death that in him we might find holiness and the strength of God that we all sinners might be Samson's. Amen.